Hey everybody, this is Jeff Stanek with Figured Out Baseball. Got a very exciting Figured Out Baseball podcast for you today. We've got Bill Moziello on the phone. He is the associate head coach at TCU, one of the best baseball programs in the country uh, historically and recently. Uh, I'll give you a quick background on Coach Moziello before we get into questions with him so you just know a little bit more about his background and kind of how he got to where he did and the path that he followed. Uh, he played at Fresno State, finished his playing career in 1986. Immediately jumped into coaching, spent the first 15 years of his coaching career uh, in the college ranks. First, he caught on as an assistant coach at Cerritos College, uh, junior college in California. He was there from 1987 through 1990. While he was there, the team compiled a 163-34 and record. Pretty remarkable. Uh, while he was there, the team won four conference titles, two California State Junior College championships. Uh, really, really great things uh, done at Cerritos then in 1991-1992, he jumped into the Division I ranks for the first time as a coach. Coached at Cal State Fullerton under legendary head coach Augie Garrido. That 1992 team went to the College World Series and featured number one overall draft pick that year, Phil Nevin. From 1993-1994, uh, he coached, was an assistant coach at Tennessee. 1995, he was an assistant coach at Ole Miss. 1996-2000, through 2000, he was an assistant at Oklahoma. 2001, he coached at Arizona State. And then he jumped into the pro ranks for a while, uh, spent this, the 2003 through 2006 seasons coaching in the Yankees organization. 2007, he went back to uh, college for a couple of years, spent 2007 as an assistant at USC, 2008 as an assistant coach at Auburn. Then in uh, 2009 through 2011, went back to pro ball, was an assistant coach, I'm sorry, was uh, uh, coaching the Angels organization, managed a couple of their affiliates during that stretch. Then 2012 through 2013, back to uh, went back to college. He was a recruiting coordinator at University of Tennessee one more time, and then he went to uh, to TCU. Joined the TCU team for the 2014 spring uh, as the hitting coach, uh, an overall offensive coach as well as associate head coach. Um, immediately did some some great things at TCU. His first four seasons, 2014 through 2017, the team went to four straight College World Series. He has worked with USA Baseball national teams. Uh, in his career, he's coached more than 80 major leaguers. That is incredible, an incredible number. 28 All-Stars, uh, two batting title winners, two league MVPs, uh, one Rookie of the Year, and he's overall just one of the best offensive minds in the country. Uh, Coach Moziello, we really appreciate you spending the time with us today on the podcast. Yeah, thanks for having me, Jeff. Really appreciate it. Really love this opportunity to, to share my story, some of the mistakes I've made, and some of the amazing blessings that I've had throughout my career. That's what a lot of it is about, uh, just sharing the things that you've done and, and helping other people to either do better or maybe repeat some of the things that you did. Um, you know, Coach, one of the, I, I like to start with something that kind of stands out from uh, the bio. And for you, there's a there's a lot of a lot of things. Obviously, you've coached at some really, really high-level college programs. You've coached in several uh, major league organizations. Uh, could you just give us an idea, uh, as you know, going through all of this, how you first got into it, and, and what were some of the keys, I guess, to, to moving up so quickly? I mean, to get to Cal State Fullerton, only your third year of coaching, and then Tennessee after that, and, and some really big Power 5 programs. Could you, would you kind of give us an idea of how all that started for you on the coaching trail? 
Yeah, you know, it all started, you know, everybody always talks to me and they think that, hey, oh, man, you always knew from day one you wanted to be a coach. And I actually, you know, I never even thought about it. Like like so many players, I had these dreams of, of being a major league baseball player. I, I had my life figured out when I was seven years old. I was going to take Johnny Bench's place. And I knew that, you know, right when I was going to get out of high school, Johnny Bench was going to be a certain age, and I knew he'd be about ready to retire. I thought I was going to take Johnny Bench's spot. So that's what I had all figured out. Um, you know, obviously, mom and dad talked talked to me about the importance of education, but I just didn't buy in. You know, I, I was going to be different. You know, I was this baseball player. And the great thing was, I wasn't ever even that great of a player, but I always believed in my mind that I was. And, and I played with some amazing players growing up. And like even on my my little league team of like our twelve year old all star team. We had like three major league players on it, and and Troy Aikman, you know, the quarterback of the Hall of Fame quarterback of the Dallas uh, Cowboys. You know what I mean? So I played with some elite athletes, and um, I was never even close to as good as them, but I thought I was, and I competed with them daily. And you know, the, the crazy part was is they competed just as hard as I did, but they just happened to be really talented players. But I never once took a back step to anybody, you know, as a player in my mind. But when I look back, it's like, man, I was never even close to the best player on my own team anywhere. But I never, that never stopped me. You know, I was going to try to beat you, and I thought I could really play, and sometimes that's half the battle. No doubt about that. That, that confidence as a player, to, to have played with guys like that at such a young age is unbelievable. Um, so how did you get your start in coaching if that wasn't something that was on your mind? Did someone approach you about it, or when you when you finished, you just kind of look at things and say, like, what now? Yeah, so, you know, I'd actually played at, um, I went to Fresno State out of high school, and then I went to Cerritos uh, Junior College for, like, for a couple of years right after I registered at Fresno, and I played at Cerritos when we won a state championship, and George Horton, it was actually George Horton's first year as a head coach, um, that I played for him, and we won a state title. We went 39-5, and he was an amazing coach, and he taught me my background of what, what you know, winning baseball was about. And, uh, there was a guy named Wally Contain, a coach that was the, who really, the people in the know really think that he might have been the best college coach in the history of college baseball, but he only coached at Cerritos Junior College. Um, so he never became as famous, but yet the people in the know of baseball, and especially in California, uh, realized that he was probably the best coach ever. And, um, he, and he had a team that was 40 and 0, he had a team that was 40 and 1. So he did some amazing things at Cerritos. So, like, when we'd win a state title at 39 and 5, it was like, man, what a bad year. I think guys lost five games, you know, coaching cage to go undefeated and <laughs> lose one game. So, no one was ever telling you how good you were because you never even measured up with coaching cage teams. But, uh, and he was actually the pitching coach when I played. So, Coach Horton was the head coach his first year. And uh, Coach Dutay had a knack of always picking the right team and coming back to coach and winning the state title. So, uh, I don't think there was any coincidence. It's obviously, yeah. You get a good job as a pitching coach and then help us win because if you don't pitch, you can't win. But, you know, so so I had played there and then went to Fresno. And, and, I, and when I was at Cerritos my last year, I'd actually had uh, two knee surgeries in season. So I, I was really beat up. And right after we won the state championship, I had my third knee surgery. And then when I went to Fresno State, um, I was a little bit beat up. And I got to play there as a redshirt junior. And it was such a tough – it was so tough for me physically um, that there was just no chance – that I was going to be able to uh, to come back and play my senior year. So um, the only thing I knew was baseball. The only thing I loved was baseball. So Coach Horton offered me a job as a senior in college where I was going to finish my schooling at Long Beach State. Um, but I you know, started coaching immediately, and we had an incredible team in 1987, and we won a state title then, and we were 46-5 and, and won a state title. And 
And actually backtracking a little bit, um, I started my active coaching career when I was playing at Cerritos in 85 and 86 because I would have my knee surgeries, you know, right when the season ended in June, and I would coach in the summer teams. They'd have me run the Connie Mack teams that Cerritos was sort of a, it was sort of like a, a little stepping stone for a lot of the Cerritos college players. And we were so fortunate. I had some great players immediately as a, as a you know, 20 and 21-year-old. And my first year as a coach, we actually, I, um, we went to the Connie Mack World Series in Farmington, New Mexico. My first year, and then the very next year after the 86, season that I played, had my knee surgery, and could only coach, couldn't go out and play in the summers, and we actually won the national championship in, in, uh, in Farmington, in the County Mac deal. So I was just so blessed, you know, I thought that, you know, it was easy to coach, and, and it was really, it wasn't because of me at all, coaching-wise, I just had all these great players, and I'd always valued how important it was to have great players, but in my mind, I thought, man, this is a piece of cake, you know, <laughs> I'm coaching Cerritos, we win, I'm coaching County Mac teams, we win, but I never once believed it was because of me. You know, I mean, I knew it wasn't, and I knew I had great players. Now, I had a, a, you know, a ferocious desire to win and was very competitive, and, and because of what Coach Horton and Coach Kincaid had taught me and, and Coach Bennett at, at Fresno State, I really knew what winning baseball looked like, and I, I held them to high standards like those coaches did to me, and we just, you know, I didn't accept, it was unacceptable to lose, you know. So, you know, I was really spoiled um, right away, and, and, I, and I can't, you know, begin to tell you what, what playing – Playing for Cerritos with Coach Horton and Coach Kincaid was awesome. They really taught my, my foundation. And then getting to play for Coach Bennett at Fresno State was just, I mean, unbelievable. You know, I, I learned all the, the fundamentals and a style of play at Cerritos. And then Coach Bennett was that old school, just taught you to be tough and play it for a standards and, you know, what you were going to look like as a player from your hair to no facial hair and all that stuff that to me is still important to this day, which nobody else thinks a big, is a big deal. But to me, that was my roots. That's where I started. And Coach Bennett, I owe so much to him just because of what he instilled in me and, and trying to make him proud on a daily basis. So, so I just it got into coaching accidentally. It was by default. I wasn't a good enough player, so I couldn't continue to play, especially after I had the knee surgery. If I was a really good offensive player, I could have played first base, but I wasn't. You know, I was a good defensive catcher that could catch and throw and really not even throw that great, but I could catch pretty good and throw enough um, and could run a good game and, and, and knew how to win and knew how to, you know, you know, tell players to get to the right spots. And, but I wasn't a good enough offensive player. The game didn't need me. I needed the game a lot more than the game needed me, that's for sure. <laughs> so, you know, I just I got into coaching accidentally, and that's that's really where it started. But I owed so much to my Shreels College playing days, and, and I was 100% buy-in. Like, this was a style. This is the only way you play. I thought California, you know, the state of California invented the game of baseball. So when I started out, I thought California baseball was the only way to go, and, and I bought in. So I was, I was ready to go. <laughs> <laughs> quite a backstory and a great place to start. You have named some some of the couple of the bigger names in the history of college coaching, uh, college baseball. Uh, you've really gotten a chance to be mentored by some really great people. How much of an impact did that have on you as a as a young coach? You, you kind of touched on it a little bit, but just to make you who you are. I mean, you, you've obviously you've you've surpassed the test of time. You've been in the game for a long time. You've been at some very very high levels. You know, how much of that do you owe just to where you got your start and kind of the coaching you had as a young, as a player as well as a young coach? You know, 100%. You know I mean? With, without them, I, I never even think about wanting to be a coach. I sure wouldn't have had a background on how to coach. I mean, I was, I was so blessed to be around them. And, and like I said, now there's, a, there's one thing to be around coaches, but there's another thing to, to buy in. 
you know, like I have a saying that all great leaders are once great followers. So I was a follower, man. I was what they said was the gospel to me, and I was all in. So I didn't. I thought like this is the only way, you know. So like if I went went out later years and managed in summer leagues and things, you know, and someone at, at a different school did something a little different. It's like no, 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 no. That's not how you do it. This is how you do it. So that's where I, I that was my nuts and bolts of who I was going to become and who I was a coach and what I stood for and what I believed in. And then. Then I, I just can't tell you how much throughout my coaching careers I continued to work for great coaches and great assistant coaches were partners of mine. And I just got to keep growing and evolving. And then I had the uh, the the, the, thing, the life changer for me as a coach was getting to manage in professional baseball. So you know I was just you know a Joe College guy who thought you know there was college baseball was the way to play. And then I got to manage in professional baseball. And I had the two perfect organizations for me, the Yankees and then the, and then the Angels with Mike Socia and his style of play. So like I, I just I couldn't have planned anything better. I'm a guy that actually says that if you ask me about my career and all the stops, I would actually change everything because I wouldn't have been like chasing things and taking a different job every year because I could. But yet I wouldn't change anything because it helped me evolve into the coach I'd become. And I got to be around so many special coaches and even more importantly, special players. And so, and I got to like open my eyes and say, Hey man, this is how the Yankees did it. And, and I had my, my core of who I was from Cerritos College and Cal State Fullerton, but I got to see the professional game and learn and evolve. And, and, you know, if you just take a little something from every coach you're around and every player you're around, and you get to evolve them into who you want to become and morph into something that you think is just the perfect way to play because you've done it a million different ways and you've learned, and then you decide, hey, okay, I'm old enough now. I've coached enough. I've got enough experiences, and, and I believe this is the best bunt defense, and this is the best way to run the bases. And, you know, and they say, well, why? Because, you know, I used to do it this way at this place and then this way. And and I really believe this is the best way after being around so many people and, and always being a student of the game. So I was paying attention everywhere I was and asking questions and, and then watching the results and seeing what's going on. And, and then along with all the stops that I made, you know, I, I managed in uh, summer leagues, like the Alaska League for four years, the Cape Cod for six years, and um, you know, Ohio, Ohio League. So I, I managed for like 16 straight years as, as I was coaching at those other stops. So I was getting to manage my own clubs as I was an assistant and then take, taking things, and here's how I want to do it myself as the head coach, as the manager, and, and we had to do it really quickly because I always wanted to play a certain style. And So I had to get a group of 20-something kids, 22 kids to buy into my system, and here's how we do it. And, you know what I mean? So it just, it just helped me form the experience that I had of, you know, coaching 100-something games, you know, before the professional baseball, but even in college, 56 to 60-something games, summers, 40 to 50 games, you know what I mean? Like, so I was I was managing in games 100-something games a year, so, like, nobody made more mistakes than I did, and nobody had more successes than I did because you have so many games, so you started learning who you wanted to become, and how do you handle players, and how do you handle failures, and, you know what I mean? So, it just, I just, I couldn't never have planned to be a coach better than the opportunities that I've had. So, like, there's a lot of better coaches than me, but nobody's been more blessed than me to, to have the co coach with the coaches that I've had. And and then when we talk about the players that I've got a chance to manage and coach, like, I mean, nobody's been more blessed. And, but nobody understands that more than I do. It's an incredible list of of, of, uh, of guys you've gotten to coach with and, and alongside and, uh, and the players that you've gotten to coach. Uh, no questions <laughs> It would be a, a, a lot of coaches' dreams to be a lot of the places that you've been. 
Um, I think it's really interesting that you got to do some a, a good bit of managing as a young coach, even as you're an assistant coach during the college season, and you get to manage your teams in the summer. Um, you know, for me as a college coach, I uh, I spent you know most of I was either a I was either a volunteer or a recruiting coordinator uh, every year that I that I coached. I volunteered a couple of D1s and then a recruiting coordinator at three different stops. And um, I always felt like that I needed to spend my summers recruiting. And even though the the one volunteer job I had was at Winthrop, and we had summer it's in South Carolina, so we had tournaments all summer. Uh, and I didn't necessarily have a summer where I kind of thought like I don't have a lot going on I'm going to go out and get one of these jobs but I had guys around me that were managing these these summer teams if you're talking to a young coach today um, that has a that is kind of torn between okay do I spend my summer recruiting for my team or do I spend a summer going to get experience managing a summer league team somewhere would you push them one direction or another well I, I would because I know which one you have to do college baseball is all about me um, so you have to become a high-level recruiter, a hustler. You need to learn how to evaluate players. Now, now there is no substitute for flat-out coaching in games. Like I said, I wouldn't trade that for the world. But yet, so many of the guys throughout the years were getting jobs because, hey, this guy's a great recruiter. And, you know, I've seen him at every game all summers. And while I was out, I was out managing, coaching all the summers and teaching and doing the things that I think are still the most important, but what had happened with me is I was really blessed. So um, it, it hurt me in some aspects of becoming a head coach, but it helped me as a baseball guy. Is that the fact that so so many I was so fortunate early in my career, you know, to say to say the first ten to twelve years is that I always had like if Tennessee wants to hire me, okay, I'll take the job if I get to manage in the Cape Cod. Um, you know what I mean? And or then Oklahoma, Larry Koschel, fantastic coach, and I was so blessed to be around Larry Koschel and. Um, I got to be around Larry Koschel, and uh, but when he wanted to hire me, I'm like, well, okay, coach, coach, I'll take this job, but I'm going to manage in the Cape. And he wanted me bad enough to where he had to say, okay, yep, go ahead and do it. So you know what I mean? Like, so I actually had the upper hand on them, and I love managing my own club so much, and that's what I, you know, refused, um, refused to, you know, I'm not coming if I don't get the manage. But it didn't help my college club. You know what I mean? Like, if I had been recruiting every second and, and getting even better players, even though we had great players, we would have been better. You know what I mean? Because I was a, you know, after my first stint as a coach, I was always going to be using top assistants. Um, so that guy needs to be recruiting, but I was out coaching. And I, and I was really selfish in that, the fact that I just love games. I love being on the field. And so, like I said, so I, I got to help master my craft as a coach, but it wasn't really helping my college programs. And, um, yeah, we, all, we had other assistants from the head coach, but, but it, it wasn't what's best for your college program. So that's why I tell a guy, like, I hate to tell you, but you need to be a recruiter. And even myself, like, I don't need a great baseball guy. I need a great recruiter to be around. So the game's changed so much. You know, and obviously recruiting's changed so much since my early years. You know, in my in those 12 years of college, you didn't start recruiting guys until the summer of their senior year. You know what I mean? So the game's changed so much. But so it, it's, all, it's all about recruiting now. But that's – so any young coach, I tell man, you got to become a great recruiter. But the truth is they're going to miss a ton of coaching because they don't get to be on the field, and especially depending on what their role is. You know, like my first, you know, for a few years as a third-base coach and things, you know, I, I wasn't running the offense. But then there came a certain time where, you know, I ran, I ran the offense all the time. So, you know, I, I was making all the game-day decisions in certain aspects. And I was a pitching coach at some places where I was making all the, you know, called every pitch, was running every offensive play. So there, I was getting so much experience on the field that it's really helped me become who I am but it's just not what a young coach can do. 
You know what I mean? It's just, it's just, you just, you can't. So that young coach needs to, who's out recruiting, he needs to be trying to uh, evolve daily and, and, and get get on the internet and read about, you know, different techniques of hitting and fundamentals of coaching and those things. But but there's nothing like being on the field and screwing up as a third base. You know what I mean? There's just, there's nothing like it. Like there's so many head coaches around nowadays that really haven't even been a third base coach. You know what I mean? So like they don't even know what the third base coach when he screws up. It's like, well, how'd you screw up? That was an easy decision. And, and you almost want to say, buddy, are you kidding me? Have you ever coached third base? <laughs> and the truth is, they haven't. Or if they did, it was only for a few games. You know what I mean? So it's just, it's not the same. Now, you know, like Jim Schlossnigger, who I work for, he's, he's the greatest. And he gives you authority to run things, and he understands it. And he just gives you, you know, 100% autonomy to run things. But, you know what I mean? Like, and he has a great appreciation of knowing, like, I don't even have close to the experience that you have of running an offense or, or coaching third base. You know what I mean? And, and he's got great trust in me, and that's, that's one of the things why I haven't been able to leave, and he's been so awesome to work for. But you know what I mean? But there's, like, so many head coaches. Like, there's successful head coaches that I've coached, you know, a thousand more games than they've ever even thought of coaching. You know what I mean? And that's what's so. And I, I'm a man of faith, so God's amazing, and he's every decision he made for me, and led me to was for a reason and you know i'm that guy that's all he's ever wanted to be was the head coach but yet like he, god puts me where he wants me and and i can help grow players and my teaching and those things so, like I, I don't even though no one's ever wanted to be a head coach more than me at, a, at an unbelievable place like I, I know god's got a plan for me and if he ever really wanted that he would open the door for me and, and have me take that job so i, I just it's my faith in him and you know we haven't even got into the most important thing in my life besides god it's like family you know so it's, it's, it's such a complex, I've had such a complex career, but like I said, I wouldn't change a thing, but I really should have changed everything. But I wouldn't. <laughs> you know, this is where I'm going to lead you. And, and when people say to me, man, how did you take, why didn't you take so many jobs? And, you know, you get a reputation, man, you must be hard to work with. Why'd you go every place? And, and I hate to say this, because it sounds arrogant, but it's because I could. I had opportunities, people were trying to hire me. I never went from a place to, I'm not another great place. You know what I mean? So I just was blessed, and, and like I said, God had a plan. I got this place for you. You can help these young men, and you can be around this great man, and this great, you know what I mean? And so I just, I've met so many amazing families and coached so many great kids, and the coaches I've been around, and the, the Butch Thompsons and the Tommy Slaters, and the, you know, being back with Dave Serrano, my childhood friend, and, I, you know, that were just so amazing for me to be around. I, I mean, I could speak for hours. I could, I could get emotional and cry about the things that they did for me and my family if you really were to give me that time, you know. So I just, it's just a, it's just a blessed career as crazy as it sounds. <laughs> it's fun to listen to. Um, if, let me ask you just about your family. I will ask you about that. Uh, just the family dynamic you've uh, of of moving around and and you know coaching and you've been at TCU for a little while now but uh, but moving around to different places and and being in pro ball being in college baseball and as a as a college baseball coach it's a crazy schedule you're you're away from home a lot um, you know it's different than pro ball where you have some you have several months in a row where you're home uh, uh, you know I've never coached at that level but I have some some friends who have graduated from college into pro ball and have talked to them about it and kind of picked their brain a little bit and. Um, how, how, how has your family? How has your family been there for you and and helped you to to you know to have these opportunities and um, you know just how they adapted to the different levels you've coached and all the things that you've done over the years? Right. So you know, obviously, I should have started this thing. And this, you know, the only thing I hate about doing podcasts is that you 
forgive certain individuals. And every person I've ever met has part of my life. But, you know, it, this all starts with my wife, you know, although I started coaching before I met her. Um, you know, you, you can't be a successful coach, and you can't even be a coach if you don't have an incredible wife. I mean, because the things that you have to go through, especially the things that I've gone through and, and the things that we've done. So none of this could have ever happened without my amazing wife, Janelle, who's my backbone, and she's, she's just amazing. Now, that being said, every move that we ever made was to help my family. You know what I mean? This is a better situation for my family. We're going to make more money to help my family. You know what I mean? So I always had to have her blessing, although I'm sure she'd tell you that, you know, yes, we always ask permission. I always said, that's let's do it. But she probably sometimes said, you know, it really wouldn't have mattered what I said. He was he was intent on taking this new job. So there's always some give and take. Hmm. You know, and then we, end up, we have three boys. We have a 22-year-old, a 20-year-old, and a, and a just-turned-13-year-old. So... You know, having three boys and the lifestyle and, and moving to so many places, I think sometimes when, when we're in a family or on vacation, we'll talk about how many different states. I, I think they may have lived in 13 different states. <laughs> wow. So the one thing we always convince the boys, and it was true, but it's like the best thing you do is make friends. You know what I mean? And, and they were so adaptable. So it was like, man, we'd be in Knoxville. We love it. The greatest place in the world. And we'd move and they're really bummed out. It's like, buddy, you, you're going to make new friends. That's what you guys do. So we just turned everything into a positive. And we actually think it helped them become more, better, well-rounded children, you know, and, and the men they're becoming. Because they've been in so many different environments and had to become, get into so many different new classrooms with a new teacher, new teammates in sports, new students in their class, in the classroom. So, you know, you can imagine, and they've been in all parts of the country. So, like, for instance, so say when I was manage, or managing AA, uh, you know, in Trenton with the Yankees. So the, my wife would come out for certain times through the year. We lived in Arizona as a family, but they'd come out to visit. And maybe they'd, they'd, they'd come around, they'd, they'd drive around with these different places that we play in the league, in the Eastern League. So say maybe we're playing Bowie in, uh, in Maryland. And uh, Janelle would take them to the White House, and we'd, we'd be places, and she'd take them to the Gettysburg. And, you know, you name it, she would take them. She turned it into field trips for them every day and, and was teaching them daily about the things that I don't have any idea about. History to me is the 27 Yankees or 61 Marisons. That's history to me. Or, you know, being culture to me is baseball in Japan, you know. But to them, my wife, she's amazing. She's super smart. She knows about everything. And, and, I, was, and I was, you know, there was no doubt my kids weren't going to become me. They were going to become mom. So, you know what I mean? So, like, when, it's, when they're talking about the Gettysburg, Address like my my son's able to say, "Oh, I've been to Gettysburg. I, I went, you know, in the the museum there, or actually walked the, walked the planes of it. You know what I mean? So it really helped them in so many ways. You know, now it made me dumber. I, I just was getting better on the field. But my boys, like mm -hmm. the goal for me in life is they're not going to be me. You know, so that's that was so awesome. So I just think it was so good for them. But it was tough. They had to lose the field. They had to, you know, play on an all-star team. Things are going great." Oh, now I got to go play for somebody else, and you know, try to show them that I can tell. You know, so it was it was tough on them, but they never wavered in their confidence and belief and love for us as a family. So it was it was it was amazing. But you know, what I mean, some parents would say, "Hey, how could you do that to your children?" And I, I thought it was a badge of honor. I, I think it was like, man, my kids learned and they were they can adapt and they know when you talk about what does it look like to be living in the South or living. Arizona, you know, they've been all over the country, so I think it's only a plus, but it sure wasn't easy.
God bless those kids. <laughs> I thought my kids lived in a lot of states, but uh, yeah, nothing close to what your family's done. Um, you've you've been on both sides of things, uh, college and pro ball, and you've talked a little bit about about each. You had a chance to manage uh, at the pro level. What has brought you back to college baseball after uh, you, you've, you've kind of went back and forth? You went from college ball to pro ball, back to college, back to pro, back to college. What, what's kind of landed you at, at college, in college baseball at this point? Um, is there one thing or another that draws you more to this side than pro baseball? Well, there's a couple things. And, and number one, obviously, like I said, family's still my most important. So the, the, negative, the only negative, and it's a huge negative, obviously, is the pro game is you got to remember you're six months away from your family. Okay, unless you're so fortunate, you happen to live in um, Charleston, South Carolina, and that's where you're at. You know what I mean? Which just doesn't happen. So uh, it's being away from your family. So we were living in Arizona. My, I love Arizona, especially the off season. You know, the fall of Arizona. The off seasons are just an amazing place to live in Arizona. Now I, I never had to be around during the summers because that's when I was out managing. Um, but that, that's the tough thing. So there's just no no comparison. Uh, now, there was a few places throughout our career, and my wife is real good at it. If she loved the city that we're in, then we would homeschool the kids. So, like, she loved Charleston, South Carolina. So one of our years, we homeschooled the boys in Charleston, South Carolina. So, um, and a couple times, if she liked the place, um, she would, we would take the boys with us, and we would homeschool them. That put a lot of pressure on her, and we were moving things. And so that, but the big reason, the difference between the pro game and, and college was just your family. You know, the lifestyle. Obviously, in college, even though I'm recruiting, you know, every single day through the summer, maybe having six days off in the whole summer, but it's still you're with your family. They can come up, come to Atlanta with you. Hey, I'm gonna go. I'm, I'm going to this place. Why don't you guys come out? We'll stay at the stay at a nice Marriott, and and um, you guys can go to swim park, or you know, we're in California. You guys can go to Disneyland during the days. You know, so we we always did things family related. You know, so we made sure we made the most of it. But. Um, you know, college people hate me saying this, but I, I like the pro game better than college because I like playing a game every day. You know, it goes back to my summers. It goes back to, like, I love playing. I love winning every single day, and I love after – I hate the sleepless nights of losing in professional baseball, but I know every morning I wake up, we got a chance for a 10-game win streak. You know what I mean? So that's what kept me going. The Bellevue game, getting on the field and competing. Um, but like I said, nobody hates losing more than me. Nobody takes it more serious than me. So, you know, we'd, we'd win 90 games in professional baseball, which is a great minor league season, but that means I lost 50 games. So there was millions of sleepless nights, you know, just crazy nights. But, man, once I woke up, here we go. Get to the park. Nobody knows I didn't sleep all night because I was crying over the loss the night before. We're going get to get them tonight. So that's why I love the pro game. I love being around the best players in the world, you know. I love managing the Mike Trouts and all the great players, and I got to manage in professional baseball. But yet the college is it's with, about the families and, and the recruiting process and, 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 you know, instilling to them, the parents, that, hey, I'm going to look over your child. Me and the staff are going to look over your child for his three, four years of his career. So there's nothing to beat that life is developing a young man. Although it, even in professional baseball, I took my same college approach, and like I cared more about them as a person than I did as a, as a player. But it was just awesome to be around great players. So the games to me on the field never changed, college or professional. It was just the lifestyle and being away from your family that was the tough part. And then there were some years that, that it was awesome. That, so when I was in professional baseball, Todd Helton, the best hitter that I've ever coached, and 
my, my all-time favorite player, even though I love all my other guys. Um, we, we would we would train him in some off-season, so the family would move from Arizona to Denver during the off-season. So, uh, Todd would help us get a house, and then I'd train him daily um, while the kids were being homeschooled in Denver. And then we would, you know, I get to work with him every day, and he'd pay me really good money to make up for the lost for the lost income that you make in professional baseball. So I was so blessed by the money that he would pay me um, to train him daily. It was just, it was amazing. So that was, you know, our kids got to live in Denver and, and know what the snow's like. And um, Todd had a ranch 45 minutes from his house, so we would get to go to the ranch all the time. And he taught them how to hunt and fish, things that I know have no idea how to do. And so they got to become well-rounded because of the blessings that he afforded our family. So that was awesome. You know, they were living a fantasy land with Todd and the way he treated us and what he did for us as a family and helped us through some financial crisis because of the, you make so much more or less in the, as a minor league manager than you do as a, as a, at a high, high level, at a high division one school. I mean, it was amazing. And that's why I say to people through my life, what they've done for me, I just can't even begin to tell you um, how they just, what they, they were there for us and what they did for us in, in every regard of my life. Such a great story. I just, I always love listening and, and hearing what other people have gone through and, and people's diff, you know, the different outlooks coaches have on things and different things they've gone through. It's, it's just uh, I, I could listen to this stuff forever. That's why I love doing these podcasts so much. Just I just like talking baseball with guys and hearing what other guys have gone through. Um, so you've got a chance to manage in the minor leagues. You've spent uh, the, the, your whole college career, if I'm not mistaken, as an assistant coach, correct? Yeah, yeah. I've never been a head coach at a at a at a college. I mean, and like I said, boy, and that's and that's what I would want. I want more than any, almost anything in the world besides God, and my family. But like I said, with my faith, it's just that this is where God wants me. And I, I was a guy. If I were to do it over again, maybe I would have taken some maybe what you know what you'd call so-called mid-major or lower-level jobs, and with the belief that I do great on, then I could have my dream job. But I was always at such great places that I am that I just um, you know what I mean. I could never take another job. And then once you start making finances and you're making so much money, you can't go take another job because you you, you wouldn't make close to the money. And, and it's hard for people to understand and what TC has done for my family financially and, and the stability that they've given us and, you know, the dreams of, like, I, I never coached to make money. Like, you know, when I started coaching, I knew that one day I hopefully could make forty, fifty thousand dollars $50,000 um, to ever make way over six figures as a a dumb assistant coach you never fathom that you know what I mean so um, what God's done to us from, from all facets of my life I just I just put it in his hands but it's a crusher to me it's it's, it's, it's tough I, I have so many of my great friends that are always like man you know, you're the best coach I've ever met how come you're not a head coach and, you know you should be and I'm like hey you know what I'm just lucky to have a job there's no coaches that listen to this and feel sorry for me and all the great jobs I've had and, and like I said nobody has a better perspective than I have I know how blessed I am I know how fortunate I know right now that there are hundreds of coaches that are actually better coaches than me I've just been more blessed to have better opportunities and had better players so like I understand that so instead of feeling sorry for myself I never got my dream coaching job I, I know how lucky I am and how blessed I am you know so like I don't I mean I just know to make a living doing what I'm doing um, it's just it's incredible you know what I mean so like I, I, nobody's gonna ever feel sorry for me and I don't do that for one second and, and I've been so blessed you know you know when you talk about the schools that I've been like I'm not even a real coach in my own mind I, I, I'm, I live in a fantasy 
way. I'm, I think nothing but great places. You know what I mean? Like, there are so many coaches that have to mow the infield and, and wash the uniforms and make sandwiches for their players. Like, like to me, that's what a real coach is. Like, so what I'm doing isn't coaching. You know what I mean? Like, I don't have to teach a class. You know what I mean? Like, I get to coach, put all my 100% into my family and my players and, and game planning and, you know, how am I going to get better? How are we going to prepare for this pitcher, you know, and recruit? So, like, I've been around the, the assistants like Kirk Sarlos that I get to work with every day in my program and the example he sets to me with his family and our families, how close they are. Like, I can cry thinking about what Kirk means to me and, and what his family means to me. You know what I mean? So it's just, it's incredible. Um, but, yeah, so it's, it's been, I'm a lifer assistant coach and, I hate being a assistant coach, but I'm so proud to have the job, you know, and lucky to have a job, you know. But and 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 the responsibilities that I get in, in my job is, you know, running the offense, being the 100% control of position players. So it's like I'm a head coach of the offense. You know what I mean? So, I mean, what more can you know? I don't have the headaches that the head coach has, and and I am smart enough to realize that. Be careful what you wish for, because a head coach never gets to have a dull moment. There's always something going on. Uh, Jim Schlossnagel, the way he handles his head coach duties and, and being a big-time CEO for a big-time program and what he's done for our facilities and with our donors and, and what he does with the public and our fans, and it's, he's, he's unbelievable at what he does. So, like, I don't have to do that stuff. Even though I wouldn't mind doing it, um, you know, you'd always like to be the, the, you know, the figurehead of your program, um, but it's like I know how fortunate I am. So, um, like, I just I know how blessed I am, and it's just – as tough as it is to like say, hey, yeah, I'm an assistant coach, it, it, there's so much more to it. And actually the biggest thing for me, obviously, is the players and the guys you work with. They know, and, and, and your opponents that you're going up against, they, they know, you know, once you've coached against guys for a certain you know, amount of years and they get to play your team every year and realize, man, hey, this, this, that's the guy running that offense. You know, that's the guy that's developing the hitter, you know. So, you know, you don't, you don't worry about what your ego thinks. And you, just, you know, you have peace of mind when you go to bed of what your players think of you and, you know, and, and what other your opponents think of you. So that, that's all I do. What's it going to take for you at this point to take a head coaching job? I mean, what, what, kind, of a, what kind of an opportunity has to be presented to you, that, to, you know, for you to say, yes, I'm going to take that leap? I, I don't even, like, I don't even, I don't think about it. It would have to be an amazing job. I, I can't take a step down financially. You know, I'm in a part now in my life where, um, you know, we're trying to save. I didn't do a great job early in my career of saving money. And, and I have that dream with Fidel, you know, that the lake house that we're going to live in for the rest of our lives one day. So we're, we're actually playing catch up in our, in our finances and what we're trying to save monthly, you know what I mean, to have that. You know, X amount of money to, when we retire. Even though I don't think oh, I don't, I can't imagine retiring. It, it would have to be a special place. I, I don't want to say never, you know. And, but it's just we're in such a great position. Um, the, the place that I work at TCU and with Chancellor Boschini and our athletic director Jeremy Gennady and the great people in the community and the people that I've met and the play. Like I, just, I can't ever picture myself leaving. And as bad as I want to be the head coach at some amazing school. And, um, I'm so spoiled at what we already have and what we've accomplished. Um, it would just be really tough, you know. I mean, I just, I've missed so much what I've had here and the people. So it would be tough. Like, the day I would ever have to say bye to, to Jim Schlossnail and Kirk Sarnos and his family, I just, I can't even think about it, you know what I mean? So, 
So, uh, you know, I've got a, my, my best friend at a baseball is Brett Venables. I don't know if you know him, but he's the defensive coordinator at Clemson. And uh, I think he's the best defensive coordinator in football in college. And the work that he's done the last seven years proves it. And he's exactly like me. We know how fortunate we are. We're doing really good financially from our schools. We have everything we can ask for. Why do we? Why would we go somewhere else? And, and that's, you know, we're, we're just so blessed together. Um, the difference is he's got a couple national championships, so I'm trying to catch him. <laughs> so every day I go to think about how do we win a national championship. So that's my goal, you know. But, but it's just I'm so fortunate. And I have so much respect and appreciation for high school coaches and those college coaches that, even though their schools may not sound sexy where they are, they're the real heroes to me. They're the ones, like, I'm reading stuff on them daily because they inspire me. And, you know, the coach, even though I'm not a big Twitter guy, someone will send me a picture, hey, that high school coach, in, you know, at a certain place, like, look, do you see how nice he has his field looking? And I'm like, man, that guy's amazing. And I have some really great high school coaches that I'm friends of, and they're my true heroes. You know, they'll come down and stay with me in the fall and spend nights with me. And Chuck Box, who coaches out in Mississippi and is runs an amazing program, like, he comes stays with me all the time and we talk. And, like, those guys are real coaches to me. I'm not a real coach. For some reason, they think I'm the coach, but they are actually the real heroes to me. So I, I just can't even tell you the respect and love and admiration I have for those guys because, like, I am I'm in fantasy, I'm on fantasy island. You know what I mean? Trying to, I'm not, you know, hey, you know, I've earned what I've gotten and I've busted my butt, but I haven't been close to the things that they've done. They don't have close to the resources. I'm in a school where it's like, I have zero excuses for us not to win or to develop hitters. Every little thing that I need, Coach Schlossnagel you know, gets us. You know what I mean? So, like, I have zero excuses. And that's why winning is so important to me because I have no excuses. I've never had to coach players that weren't very good or at a stadium that wasn't good and the resources. I, you don't, I don't have resources. You know what I mean? Like, I've never had that. So what we have, like, there's zero excuse to winning. But we all know the nature of the game and the acceptance. But, you know, I mean, it's like I'm looking for a perfect season. I don't even set goals. Like, I want to go 63-0 and every year. After we lose one, we're going to never lose again. And we, you know what I mean? So that's – I mean, the goal is to win every single game, and until I do that, I'm going to keep coaching. So, like I said, I'll never be retiring. Gosh, I have so many places that I want to go, and I know we don't have um, four more hours to go on this podcast, but uh, I, I would like to talk to you about developing hitters. And I and I've uh, talked with some other people about this recently. Just you know, some on some on podcasts, sometimes not on podcasts, but there's so much noise on social media about this and that, and there's a lot of push for what are the perfect mechanics, basically, in, in these guys that are uh, that, that feel like they have it figured out and that's what they're promoting. Um, for someone like you who's got all the resources in the world and, and you're one of the best college programs in the country and you're known as one of the best offensive coaches in the country and, and like you just said, there's no excuse to not develop, you know, not develop hitters and to not win ball games. Uh, when you're talking, when you're, when you're working with hitters, and uh, you know, you're in the cage, you're breaking, breaking down video or, or whatever it may be, <clears throat> how much time do you spend on their mechanics? And I guess how uh, very specific do you get? Do you, uh, you know, are, are you trying to get like the, the, all those minute details of their physical mechanical swing to be you know, absolutely perfect, uh, or is it more uh, you know, developing 
an approach? Is it more, are, are you not so focused on mechanics and focusing on some other things that can make them be good hitters? I'm, I'm interested to hear from someone who coaches the hitters at your level. Yeah, so you talk about a complex question and what you said, and as you found out with me already, you asked the question, I go all over the place. So, um, And I'm probably not the right guy to be talking to about this because of, I have very strong opinions and, um, in, in this Twitter age and, you know, um, this is where I offend people and uh, <laughs> sometimes I actually don't mind that I'm offending some people because it's such a crazy era that, we, that we're at right now in hitting. Um, so to make a short question, you gave me long, um, you know, here's where I'll start. Um, and, and like I said, I'm not a Twitter guy, but I've got so many buddies around the country that love to send me the different things and what people are teaching. And, um, and um, I'm the guy with what they call FOMO, failure of missing out. So as much as I believe in everything I teach and what's right and wrong, I still have that failure to this hitting guru on Twitter that maybe he is right. Although the truth is he hasn't coached one great hitter. He doesn't have wins and losses. His team has never hit 300. He's never had a group of 16 hitters on a team. But because he's done lessons with one individual and the kids never made it out in his cage, he thinks he has all the answers. You know what I mean? So it's just so confusing to me that why am I even spending any time paying attention to what this guy has to say when he doesn't, he hasn't even done anything. You know what I mean? Um, and I've coached all these big league hitters, the Mike Trouts, the Robinson Canoes, the Chase Outleys, the David DeLucci's, the Sean Casey's. Like I said, I even hate naming players because, um, you know, I, I forget to say some of the players that were great hitters, and not one of them believe in this stuff. I talk to those guys all the time, and not Sean Casey didn't hit 300 in the big leagues in his 12 years because he was worrying about launching. You know what I mean? Todd Hilton didn't hit 317 with 369 homers and just under 600 doubles with a 424 on base percentage because he was worrying about his launching. You know what I mean? And that's not what we worked on. Mike Trout didn't become this great player. I had him three years in the minor leagues, three consecutive years, uh, not full seasons, had him at the end of one year, and then the next two years up until his big league call-up. And we never once talked about Juan Chango and any of those type things. And, and that's the best player in the game. So I'm so confused on why I worry about what somebody is trying to teach. Um, but that being said, I want to be the best hitting coach in America. It doesn't matter that I'm not, but I want to be. And I'm doing my players a disservice if I'm not trying to catch up with things and evolving daily and, and making them the best hitters they could possibly become. So to go in the questions basically that you asked me is, I've got some coaches hitting guys that are really good that they talk about. I'm not a swing coach. I'm a hitting coach. You know what I mean? Like We're going to talk about approach and all that which I actually do think is super important and might be the most important. But yet, being fundamentally sound, getting into good hitting positions, you know, working from the ground up, all the things that I teach daily, of course those matter. You know what I mean? Some coaches, well, you just got to compete. And that's, you know, and compete. And actually, that's a huge factor also. But, but I want them to have everything. But yet, I still got to keep it simplistic. 
You know what I mean? I'm still talking about getting rhythm, getting getting started. I don't talk about getting down. I talk about getting started. If you're started on time, you'll get down on time. I don't talk, hey, get your foot down. You know what I mean? Get started. When he starts, you start. And that's going to help us get into positions. You know, I give great freedom to the hitters to have different styles of what they look like, but there's going to be some, some non-negotiables that all the hitters are going to do to become successful hitters. Um, you know, I... And what's crazy to me, and where I, where where it upsets me on all, on this new age of hitting, is like I said, if you want to watch Freddie Freeman video and all these great hitters, they don't talk about launch angle. They're not. They're talking about staying down through the baseball, hitting the ball through the back net. But there was a couple of years ago that I'm watching guys who are supposed to be hitting gurus that are talking about hitting balls up to the top of the net. You know what I mean? And and not one good hitter has ever done that. In, in their routines and in their work. But yet, this guy's teaching an 8- to 12-year-old to hit the ball to the top of the net. you got to hit the ball up in the air, which is the stupidest thing in the world that you could ever teach a hitter. You know what I mean? And, you know, you watch Jim Tomey on MLB and Sean Casey, these great big league hitters, and they're talking about what they did, talking about hitting lenient through that back net, through the back net. You know what I mean? And then I'm watching some guy who didn't play in the big leagues, never coached a player in the big leagues, has never coached at a high level, and he's talking about launch angle and lifting a ball into the middle of the cage, top of the net. You know what I mean? And then there's there's parents and kids that are buying into that. And it, I'm thinking to myself, how sad is it? And then and then, and in this day and age, and this is what I tell guys when I speak at clinics or when I talk to my baseball guys or when they come to the house to stay a few days and we talk hitting for the few days that they stay with me, is is um. And I'm talking about the approaches and staying through base. Is that's not what that's not what you do. That's not how it's taught to these guys. And you can't buy into these different things that people are talking about, you know. And and that's where, like I said, I can talk hours on this and, and, and get a little upset at times. And how could somebody teach that and get some kid to believe that that's what to, that's what we're trying to do? You know what I mean? It, it's insane to me. You know. And and my point was is that hitters are not the best now that they've ever been. We all see how high strikeouts are. The belief that it's okay to strike out, how stupid is that? You know what I mean? Like, the more times you hit the baseball, the more times you have to hit home runs, to get more hits, to score a runner from third base. Now, the pitching in the big leagues, it's never been better velocity-wise and the stuff, but it's like it's, it's acceptable to strike out and not be a good hitter with two strikes. And, you know, hey, who cares if you get the you know, runner on third base less than two? I don't care. Try to hit a home run. I mean, the, the belief that that's okay, um, Major League Baseball isn't scoring more runs now than they ever have. They're hitting more home runs and they're striking out more, but you never heard anybody say, hey, MLB, just this is the most runs they've ever scored. And, and offensive baseball is about scoring runs. And who, who doesn't like home runs? Who, who hasn't ever liked home runs? We all know you can't hit a home run by hitting the ball on the ground. You're always trying to get line drives and stay through baseballs, and hopefully you get balls in the air by staying through the baseball. So, so like you know, to, like I said, to make a short question long, um, it's about fundamentals and it's about approach daily and getting a good pitch to hit and being on time and handling all pitches. And um, I'm I'm real big into you know, doing during our hitters, making them uncomfortable, doing lots of variabilities through our drills because I want to be able to handle more pitches and handle more hit spots. You know what I mean? So it's all important to me. But I want, to teach. I want us to lead the league in hitting. I want us to hit the most home runs. But most important, I want to score the most runs. So it's all important. I don't want to be one-dimensional. You know, so I think 
there's situational hitting involved and you know you know using counts and you know I mean so that it's such a complex deal um, but yet with my players as long and, and, and I'm all over the place during a podcast but when I'm with my players it's very very you know we're only talking about a couple things and sometimes they're like well how come you know Twitter's talking about all these other things why, why aren't we talking about those and yeah, we're talking about balance, getting in the good positions, recognizing, staying short with our swing, you know, so that, uh, game planning versus an opponent pitcher of what he's trying to do to us, you know. Um, so we, we really keep it simplistic, but yet in my mind there's so much involved, but I know when I'm teaching somebody, we've got to keep it simple, you know. So sorry for that long answer on the quick question you gave. But it was I great. A, little, a few nuts and bolts of you know, obviously, my passion and the police, and this isn't something that I just thought about last night. I mean, this is something I've been thinking about every day, you know, since I couldn't hit enough. You know, like how do I get other guys? And and when I and when I always talk about the big league hitters, all these great players that I've managed or coached, I didn't teach them anything. I learned from them. I when I talk about them, it's not to say to pat myself on the back and look what I oh look what I did for Mike Trout. I did nothing for him. But I had the best seat in the house. I paid attention. I do know the drills we did. I do know what we worked on. You know what I mean? But I didn't make him. But I paid attention. And I know what they look like. So when we're working and I'm watching a swing and we're talking to a guy and I talk to a guy about being a good hitter and uh, hey, you know, having a good two strike approach and using the whole field and getting a good pitch to hit and well how do you know they can't say to me oh how do you know what it looks like because i've seen it now i didn't teach them now i obviously you play a part of them and obviously i've messed up some guys too um but i, I know what it looks like i know what a 300 in the big uh, 300 hitter in the big leagues looks like i know his approach i know as a younger hitter i didn't have these guys when they were 30 i had these guys as 18 year olds to 20 year olds you know what i mean um, so I know how they were built at a younger age, you know, and I was real fascinated by finding out when I have a great hitter from day one with Todd, like, hey, Todd, how'd you learn to hit the ball the other way, you know, and I found out what his dad used to do to him, and, you know, in the in the garage where the boat was on the pool side, so he had to hit the ball the other way, you know, so you found out, like, no wonder he's so good at, you know what I mean, but it always was about using the whole field, staying on baseball, you know. So that's so I just I got to learn so much from being around great hitters and I always studied them and I want and I found out what where were their roots how did they become that you know and then I just try to you know give some of my experience and knowledge with them to ho- hopefully help them get a little better but it was never because of me but I played a part in their career but like I was too I learned way more from them than they learned from me and I and I can say that without being embarrassed. Like I, I was paying attention way more to them than they were learning to me. I was just there to work with them every day and throwing a million strikes to them every day and making sure they got their repetition and the work in, you know. But it was it, it was just the best seat in the house for those guys. <laughs> a great answer. I don't. I love that you're giving the long answers and you're going into such detail. And and I just uh, it, there's so much to learn. And I like asking that question, Coach, because the whole purpose of figured out baseball is to help people have a better resource than what they've got right now. You know, I want to give kids and families and young coaches, you know, young high school coaches, old high school coaches, young college coaches, I want to give them access to what current college coaches are doing around the country. You know, what are guys like you doing? What are some other guys around the country doing and teaching and saying? And sometimes the noise that you hear on social media is so, uh, it's so loud and it's, and they can be convincing 
uh, with some things that you hear and the things that you see. And, uh, and I just, I think it's so important for people to hear what someone that's, that with your experience level, but also you're a student of the game, you're, you're always, you're trying to learn. Um, you, you want to be the best. You want your team to go 63, you know. Um, so you've got to continue to learn if that's, if that's the seat that you're in. I just, I just like to hear what guys like you are doing. Um, and I think it's so important for a young player, coach, parent, whatever, to hear, uh, to hear that here's some here's some truth and to hear something that you can really get behind and buy into. So if someone were to come to TCU batting practice, um, on the field in the cage, whatever it may be, you, you talked about that you've seen you've seen guys on uh, on social media or whatever that are that are that are telling guys that you know they they want to hit the top of the net you know halfway down the cage. What is what is BP? What is the optimal BP at TCU look like? Whether is it different for um, you know, a guy who's maybe, uh, you know, a guy that's that's a bat control guy that's going to be a high average, high on base guy, maybe run the bases a little bit, uh, as opposed to the, the middle of the order sluggers, or does it look pretty similar for, uh, you know, for all those guys that, uh, most of the time in the cage for you? Yeah, so, you know, like, I'm a, I'm a big believer, especially at these age of my life. I don't limit anybody. If you're, you're not at a point in your career that you're just one or the other. So, like, you say I have a guy named Wilkin Baker, second-round pick, uh, would have been a first-rounder, but he had some big injuries for us at TCU a few years ago. And, you know, here's a guy, 6'4", 260 pounds, amazing power. But I wasn't going to – it wasn't okay that, that Lucan strikes out and just hits home runs. I wanted to make him a complete hitter. Now, luckily, he already was that. That's why I loved him as a hitter from day one, and that's why he fit in so well with what we were trying to do. Nor would I take a little guy and say, hey, you got to hit the ball on the ground. Uh, you're not allowed to hit doubles and home runs. Like, I just want you to slap the baseball and run. Well, I'm trying to get them to become complete with who they are. And, and it's still always about short, aggressive swings, driving baseball. Even with Luke, and it wasn't, hey, get the ball up in the air. It was get through baseball, handle more pitches. You know what I mean? So your, your power is going to come as you get a little bit older, but the swing still really never changes. You just try to get through baseball. So... We have our different daily routines that we do daily, so they're all going to look the same. They have the same goals. And then there's going to be little touches with me to individuals, like, you know, with the metrics and the analytics and our hit tracks and all those type of things. We actually, like, Ron Single, we have all those measurements. We have exit velocity measurements on that volume. We have all that stuff. And I do pay attention to it, but we don't talk about it. But say, you know, Luke and Baker had 10 hits in a row with no extra base hits. And the exit velocity was actually over, you know, 103 in all of them. So, we, you know, without saying, hey, we got to start manipulating your swing, we got to get the ball in the air, we can, you've got too much power. You know what I mean? We're just going to have certain drills without even talking about that help them get through the baseball. We're just we, we're, we're constantly working on trying to get them to become better with, with their swing and more efficient, but without really talking about it. You know, so we, I don't limit guys, and I want them to all be tough hitters. I want them to all drive the baseball. I want them to all be able to hit with two strikes. I want them all to be able to get a guy in from third in the lesson, too. You know, um, we're always looking for pitches that we can drive, you know what I mean, until we get two strikes, and then we're still trying to drive the baseball. But now we got to handle more pitches as opposed to, you know, really zoning in on the pitches that we're looking to hit. So I want them to be all complete. And they're at a stage now where, you know, um, Justin Turner, who actually was my brother, Justin Turner of the Dodgers, was one of the most amazing stories that I've, he's the most amazing story that I've ever seen in baseball, because I know who he was and where he came from, and my brother coached him in high school, and to see what he ended up doing and the power that he has, and um, the home runs that now he hits, 
um, here was a guy that, you know, six, seven years in the big leagues was just trying to make a, keep, keep making ball clubs, and, and he only made ball clubs because of his defense and his makeup, because of his toughness and how smart he was. And he had to rechange some things. And, um, and it, was, it was amazing how he, he was at a spot in his career where he really had to change. And it's amazing to see what he's done. And, and the, the hitting coach it was, it played a big part in it. He dug a lot of you know, I actually went and stayed with him three days a couple of years ago because, like I said, I'm always learning and trying to get better and trying to find out, man, how did you turn him into that? And then you start finding out that there really was no secret remedy and, he, you know, they never once talked about, you know, hitting home runs or getting the ball in the air, but there were some fundamentals and staying through baseballs and not spinning on the backside and keeping the ball, you know, just getting through balls and then the power came. And so it, 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 was, it was pretty complex with that, but it wasn't the launch angle age and you know so it was pretty crazy when you listen to Justin what his thought process was and how he became a home run hitter getting third for the Dodgers you know when he used to get eight for every team he'd ever played for so it's just that was an amazing story so I'm a student of man how did Justin how did you end up doing that but if he hadn't been the hitter he was at Fullerton and learned to use the whole field and be a complete hitter he never could have made the changes that he made you know and even when you watch him in the World Series or in the playoffs in the biggest game, he still is that guy that gets to hit to right field with two strikes and score the guy from second while all the other Dodgers are striking out, you know. He's still a tough out. He's still a, he's a 300 hitter, you know, where, you know, today's age to believe that hitting 300 isn't a big, you really hit 220 with 40 home runs and hit 300 is ridiculous, you know what I mean? A 300 hitter is, is a, you know, is, you know, nobody thinks that it's important to hit 300 when the great hitters still hit 300. You know, so it's it's, it's amazing to me the thoughts of how far this game has gone away from what, what real good hitters still look like. It's just crazy to me. And good hitters at younger levels are, are different, and even at lower levels of college baseball, you know, they're 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 different than what than what you're coaching. And I know that you know that. Uh, I'm not telling you anything you don't know there. But I'm, I'm kind of asking, uh, I'll ask this question for all the high school coaches and, and lower-level college coaches that are listening to this. If you've got a guy um, who has been fed this message, I guess, through, um, through, I guess, the level before he gets to you, if you're a high school coach, maybe what he's, the lessons he's getting in middle school or whatever, uh, that he, he's getting fed this idea that he needs to hit everything in the air. But when you get him, whatever level you're getting him, when you get this hitter, all he's doing is hitting – he's hitting the ball in the air, and he's squaring it up. And for his own power, he's hitting it as hard as he can, but it's it's basically a routine out because he's not strong enough yeah. to hit the ball over the fence. If you're coaching that guy, that kid, what are you – what's your conversation with that player to uh, – at, at I mean, do you, and let, let me just – let me ask uh, a, kind of 1B, but I've, I've heard guys that um, – I've kind of, <laughs> I've had arguments before with guys, you know, just one-on-one, not, not in public, but one-on-one, like, you, okay, you've got this kid hitting the ball in the air because you're telling him that this is what major league uh, players do, this is what major league MVPs do, so this is what we're going to do, and even though you're 14 now and there's no power, by the time you're 18, you're going to be a power hitter, and my argument to that coach is that the kid's going to quit before he's 18, he's, no, nobody can, people don't hit 200, right, people don't hit 200 and keep playing, like, it's, it sucks, you can't do that while you're waiting for the power to come. And my approach has always been as a hitting coach at whatever level I've been at, um, you know, to basically that 
uh, that you should hit to what your strengths are now. If you're going to be a power hitter five years from now, well, then we'll talk five years from now, and we'll figure some, you know, we'll do some different things. But if it's you, I'd just like to know your opinion on that. If you're coaching that hitter who right now doesn't have the power to hit the ball over the fence, but he's been taught that by whoever he's going to for lessons or whoever coached him before you got him, what's your conversation with that player? So number one, I think that if I don't have to handle these things, my brother's a super successful high school coach. He's had a great career in California, won some state championships, and is, does a great job. Um, so like I said, that's why I have the you know, appreciation for real coaches. But like, I, I can't imagine, I, I get so many high school coaches that talk to me about this guy takes lessons and like having to fight with the guy that gives him lessons and the father because this is what the, his lessons guy's telling him to do. I mean, it's just, I would have to, I would really, as a coach, have to have meetings with all my parents and get them to understand um, that we're trying to hit line drives. Line drives play at any level at all times, okay? Line drives play, and we're not, all these hitters that in the big leagues are having great success, when they were young, they weren't trying to do that. Chris Bryant is the only guy that you've ever heard of that at a certain age his dad was talking to him about get the ball in the air, and, and, and Chris Bryant is amazing, but it's still why he has lots of holes in his swing. Chris Bryant's not going to win a batting title. Chris Bryant's not a 300 hitter. You know what I mean? It's, it's, he does have some holes, but he is an elite athlete, And but he was the one guy that was taught by his dad to do that, and obviously how, who's, who am I to say that he did the wrong thing? You know what I mean? But that's the only guy. If I would I would challenge these parents to do their homework, listen to successful hitters, and find out how they would, how what their key routines are. How did they go about as a young hitter? And none of them had a hitting guru that was teaching them to hit the ball in the, in the air. You know, none of none of them had a PVC pipe and was having them do these dumb little flips. You know, hitting the key like none of them did that. None of them. So they need to really understand, and, and it's such a tough thing because then you're you're bad mouthing his hitting coach. You know what I mean? If that's what he's, you know what I mean? So it's like, gosh, what a slippery slope that is, and how tough for that high school coach. And man, and that's that's crazy that, that they have to go through that. And, and like you said, like buddy, the guy's best bowl at 120 pounds. He hit the ball in the air, he hit the 220 feet. Like, guess what? Okay, keep having him work the list, but he can't even play for me here. You know what I mean? Like you said, like he's going to find himself on the bench. You know, there's like one outlier for every thousand big leaguer that, that didn't, couldn't play on his own little league team. You know what I mean? Like, it just didn't happen. Those guys were developing to be hitters. They were getting better. They, a lot of them were just hitting doubles in the gap because they you know, weighed 115 pounds when they were young. And then when they got to 150, 160, the same exact swing went over the set. But they didn't start manipulating. They didn't start trying to hit for power. They were trying to hit the ball as hard as they could with every swing they took. Short swing, under control swing. They did, they, as they get older, because they had power, they weren't trying to manipulate their swings. You know, that's what bothers with, with all these hitting instructors. They're trying to get young players to manipulate their swing instead of getting through the baseball, being on time. You know, whatever you say, level swing. I mean, we're not, we all know it can't be level. We all know there's going to be a little, getting through a baseball, my barrel's going to be below a little bit. But I'm thinking about keeping my hands above my barrel. But then the truth is, at contact, it isn't. 
but that physics doesn't work like that. You know what I mean? But we're st we're never thinking about hey, drop your barrel behind your shoulder so that you're that you have a great launch angle before you attack the baseball. You know, I would challenge him to look at pictures, still pictures of a hitter where his hands are above the barrel as he's starting, and then once he gets past his belly button, now he's starting to get to that slot of where he wants to be. Whereas we have these hitting coaches that are teaching guys that they, they get their slot behind their back shoulder when, they, when that's not what hitters do. None of them do that. Coach, do you mean do you mean keep your hand keep your barrel above your hands before you've said a couple times that? Well, yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah, of course, yeah, okay. yeah. So yeah, the barrel, the hand, as I'm doing it while I'm standing up, get my hand down through. But yeah, the barrel's above it. Gotcha. And then as we get past the belly button, that's when we start creating the angles. Yeah, my apologies. Right? And now the one thing about me, like I said, the reason why I get to keep it simple for my players is because I'm not too smart. So that, it is easy for me not to get caught up in all these fancy things and you know I'll, I'll go watch a, a, a guy get a hitting talk and like he's confusing me as I'm watching it so I say to myself what the heck do you think your own player is going to be if I'm confused with 34 years as just a coach and let alone my playing career how do you think a 12 to 20 year old is going to be able to understand what you're telling them you know what I mean so like, that's where it's so confusing to me, and and I and I appreciate them because I love listening to them, and I'm I'm super impressed by their honesty and their articulation when they talk. And I'm like, man, when I talk, people can't even understand what the heck I'm saying. Um, but somehow they're actually they're doing a pretty good job of doing it. But then you're, you're articulated, and you've got this PowerPoint, and I'm like, oh, that's amazing. And you're using these words that I've never heard of, and. It looks fancy, but I'm like, that's not, it's not how fancy you can articulate things. It's getting your players to understand what you're trying to teach them and keeping them, keeping it very simplistic. Um, and then there's, there's some new age of these new players that they, they want, they want you to throw metrics at them with everything they do. You know what I mean? And that's just, no, we're not, we're going to get away from that. We have all the metrics. You know what I mean? Like I said, I'd be crazy if I didn't pay attention to it. And I have every gadget in our program known to man. But I'm not a slave to it. I have that there so that we can make adjustments. And if I had to show somebody analytic and say, hey, well, here's what's going on and here's your launch angle, you know, we have that. But I don't speak in terms of, hey, that was a 10, 10 you're only at a 10 launch angle right there. Uh, you need to be at 22. You know what I mean? Like, I don't talk like that. But yet I have the ability of every ball they hit is from their blast, from our hit tracks, um, from our track man, through our, our win reality machine. We, I, I have it all, but I'm not a slave to it. I just am very fortunate to have it. And I do know that there's a lot of credence in it. I, I do know that you, there's some substance in it, and I am paying attention. But that's not how you teach it to a hitter. And Kelly's a really advanced guy, and that's how he wants to talk to you. Then you can do it like that, but not for some 12 to 20 year old hitter. I can tell you that much. It's just refreshing to hear these things because, I mean, frankly, you're giving me—I think you're giving me permission to be able to say that sometimes I listen to these guys, uh, these these guys that, that want to be known as really high-level hitting coaches. And, on you know, I was I, I coached in college for eight years. I coached some pretty good teams. We did some good things. I'm listening to these things, and I'm just sitting there like, I I don't know 
I don't, I'm not sure what he's talking about. And sometimes I read a tweet and it's like, I don't understand anything that, that was, I, I don't understand any of those 160 characters. Like, I, what in the world is this guy talking about? Like, am I just, am I that far removed from the game? Or? Yeah, it does that to me all right. And my thing is, I actually pay attention. <laughs> not reading everything. And then, like, you know, I'll be preparing and I'm reading that. And then, then I'll talk to, I'll call Sean Casey or I'll talk to Fred McGrath or some, some you know, great hitter and you talk about it and they're like, they're not saying any of that stuff. And then, I, then it makes me go back to my roots like, I know, I do, but why am I getting caught up in that? And then, I, you know, I love when, you know, I'll have somebody send me an article, the audacity of some of these hitting coaches to, like, A-Rod, A-Rod's like talking about hitting once and I guess he got ridiculed because, uh, they were saying, you know, you're completely wrong. That's not what great hitters do. And it's like, you're telling A-Rub, the guy was actually, as much as maybe I don't want, he's not one of my favorite players, but like a complete hitter with power, average, five, you know, whatever, 600 homers. Like, and, and they're like telling him how stupid he is. You know what I mean? Like, you know what I mean? And, and this is a guy, like I said, I understand there could be some amazing hitting coaches that have never coached a winning team, never had a good job, and they just happen to be great guys in the game. But it's like, those guys are like taking shots at, um, those guys are taking shots at a big league hitter, you know, because they think they know better because of, of what their research tells them. You know what I mean? I'm like, that's, that's so ridiculous. Not just because A-Rock could hit doesn't mean to teach somebody how to hit. But if he was telling you, he's telling you what he thought, and hey, I keep my barrel above my hands, and and all that stuff, he actually did, and he did it, but yet people tell him he's wrong. And it's, it's, it's crazy to me. And then, you know, I told you about my FOMO, the failure of missing out. Like, I, I got to get better. I got to get my guys better. And that's what all the pro teams are doing right this time. They're high, they're, they're, they're hiring. Professional baseball is hiring a lot of guys um, for not very much money, hiring young coaches that have a really good feel of analytics and can give a really good presentation. They don't have a track record. But these pro teams are scared that they don't are missing out on some of these some of these young coaches that, that are really intelligent. So they're hiring, you know what I mean, um, into, into the organization because they're they're hoping that man maybe this guy has the answer, even though they're going to find out that they don't. But they, they there is a role for them. There is an analytic role in your organization. You know what I mean? Like you want to be as complete as you can possibly be. So they're good hires, but they're able to hire a guy out of a junior college, an assistant coach out of a junior college who wasn't making any money and paying him $50,000 and that guy's in heaven. And I get to tell you, I work for the Los Angeles Dodgers, you know. Um, but it, so even the, the big leagues have the FOMO because they're going to say, what about, what happens if this one guy has all the answers? But the reality is going to be getting balanced, getting in good positions, working from the ground up, repeating swings over and over, having barrel awareness getting good pitches to hit, you know what I mean? If the game is never going to change, even though some guy will try to tell you, you know, but it's not. Yeah. It's it's baffling to me when people look at a major leaguer. Uh, now, it's one thing to say that you don't know how to coach. Just because you're a good hitter, you don't know how to coach. I think we can all agree that that's true. Just because you can hit doesn't mean you can coach. Just because you could, you were a good pitcher doesn't mean you can coach pitching. But to tell, to have the audacity to tell a major leaguer that's not what you did. 
and or that's not you know just if a rod says that that's what he thought then that's what he thought and i've seen like people all you know do the same thing with chipper jones chipper jones is, is saying this is what i thought in the cage when i was in the cage these are my goals this is what i was thinking this is what i was trying to do and guys would say well, that's not yeah. what you did but that's what he thought and what he thought is what created the swing that you saw so how could you argue with him is it fair to say that um just to try to to try to bring some maybe a little clarity or maybe some gray to a black and white argument uh, that that hitting hasn't changed through the years. Hitting's been the same from the beginning. Uh, you know, people look different and they do some different things now, but the basis of hitting hasn't changed. But the tools that we have available to us, that's what's changed. And now we have a lot more information to be able to figure out what's optimal. But but hitting itself, you know, what makes a good hitter a good hitter has not changed through the years. Is that fair to say, or am I off on that? No, you're 100% correct. And like I said, like you'd be a fool with all the different things that we have now to help enhance it. You'd be a fool not to try to pay attention to some of it and, and try to keep up with the Joneses. But it's not the end all. And, and again, it's about it's about what a player thinks and what's his mindset and the different things that he did. And like you said, uh, you know, a, a hitter could say, like, I may have a certain hitter. I'm going to say, hey, hey uh, Jeff, get down through the baseball. I'm not telling you, Jeff, I'm not telling you to actually hit down on the ball. But you've got to lift, and I'm trying to get you through the baseball. And, and if you think that you're getting down through the baseball, you're actually getting to the optimal spot of what I'm talking about. You know what I mean? Or if I actually were to tell you for some reason, hey, Jeff, get under the ball right here, and it actually helps you get into a better hitting spot, no way I ever told any hitter to get under a ball. But if that's, what, if that's my verbiage to you and my key to you that helps you get into a better position, then I could use it. Because... Um, Josh Donaldson says something, um, and I and I talked to Josh, and I'm like, Josh, you're killing all these young hitters. And he's like, well, that's what I think. And I'm like, that's great, but you're telling somebody, and they're taking it verbatim, even though I've got tons and tons of your swings where you're hitting a ground ball through the four hole, runner on second base with two outs to help you drive in 100 runs, but you're telling them don't hit ground balls and tell your coach he's stupid for having you hit a ground ball. But like, and I understand when I talked to him, he said, I, I bought in, I think, yeah, you're right. It's not what you're saying, what you really do. It's what you're, you think you do. You know what I mean? And I'm like, ah, but man, you're, you're so passionate and you're so good at speaking about it, but you get these people thinking differently. Yeah. You know? Josh is one of the first people that was really outspoken about it that really got people right. thinking. And I, yeah. Right. Yeah. But like he's talking about finishing up. Any swing you watch him take, he doesn't finish up. So I was that guy getting on the big leaguer to him in person. I'm like, Josh, what are you doing? He's like, well, you know, when I, when I think to finish up, it helps me get through. And I'm like, I know, and you're awesome. But the way you said it was, when you're demonstrating it, you're finishing high and up. When, That's not what you do. Yeah, I know, but I think I do. <laughs> you know what I mean? So it helped me as a coach. Yeah, so what I'm saying doesn't actually mean, you know. And, and actually, when he talks about no ground balls, now, and there are some coaches that are guilty of like, hey, try to hit the ball down on the ground. No, try to get through the baseball. Try to hit, you know, through the ball, you know. So that's why it's so complex. And so, But like I said, I've been so blessed to be around so many special guys. I know their roots of who, why they became who they were, you know. And it's like that's just not the thought process. And when I talk to them today, they're appalled by how people are trying to teach it. You know, and they're like, and it's like, that's not, you know, Fred McGriff's got 600-something homers, and he never once tried to, told me, he never once tried to hit a ball in the air. He was just trying to get through the baseball, put a good swing. It's tough enough to square the baseball. 
So he sure wasn't trying to say, I'm going to hit the ball in the air. You know what I mean? But yet, obviously, he wanted to get the ball in the air. But it, that's not it. It's about how you approach to do that, not about what your end result is. One of my favorite things about spring training every year, and I try to do it with the figured out um, Twitter account especially and, uh, and and with my own account, like I, I love watching the spring training videos and I love when the MLB network guys, you know, are in the cages with people. You're, Sean Casey, they're, like, they're in the cages with guys and they're talking about what do you do, what do you think, and what's your tea routine. And they all, you know, they, they all sound fairly, not that they, there aren't some differences, but, you know, 90% of the guys sound sounds similar and it's and it's like how could you if this is what they're doing and thinking how how are and this is what almost everybody's doing and i even the, one of the last ones was um was bo bichette you know who's a, a young guy who's certainly heard everything in the world that's out there in in our current age it's not like he's an old guy that you know that, that's 35 you know, it's not like he's a rod this is a young guy that's, that's brought up in this era and he's still talking about the same things that all these other guys did and um yeah, 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 yeah. Right. Yeah, I haven't seen that one, but like the Freddie Freeman, like there's a great one. I remember Eric Burns a couple of years ago, and um, and it, it's so funny from the, the guys that are doing the interviews. They're trying to bait them into talking about their launch angle and Francisco Lindor, Lindor and you know Spike his homers up to over 30 homers, and, and even Eric Burns was talking to him. He was talking about his key routines, and you know, hey Francisco, you went up to 34 homers last year, and you're your career high. And, Man, what were you trying to get the ball in the air? And he's like, oh no, man, I'm trying to stay through it. I'm just getting better pitches. I'm getting older. And it was like, really? You you didn't at all try to you know improve your launch angle? And, and Eric was like upset, like shoot. <laughs> all all off season, all I did was try to improve my launch angle. And but that's not what they talk about. You know what I mean? Like that's not what they're supposed to. There might be a, a new a, a new age big leaguer that is hitting only 220. And he actually does think that because that's how he's been raised to do it, you know, in his last six, seven years. But but he's not hitting 280 and over in 300, and he's not a successful hitter. Well, that's why I like. That's why I like listening to guys like Bo Bichette because Bo has been a high batting average guy. Um, him and and you know uh, Guerrero. Uh, you know, guys that have hit for very high average in the minor leagues, and you would expect that they're going to continue to do that. And they've, and they've got plenty of pop. They hit plenty of homers, but they're they're sort of the generation that maybe has a chance to do both uh, and maybe bring that back into the game where, yeah, they're hitting for high average and power. They're complete. I mean, like, like this. here's what I would be crushed as a coach. So, like, when I start getting videos sent to me and this guy is a really good hitter and he's saying everything I don't want to hear, like, yeah, I try to lift the ball. I never, I think, just hit the ball up in the air. I, you know what I mean? And, and the guy hit 300. And you're like, this is his routine. He's going in the cage and you see him, man, I just try to hit the top of the cage every swing. You know what I mean? Then it'd be like, oh my gosh, I'm in trouble. <laughs> it never happened. Like I said, I didn't even see the Bichette one. And he would be like, you said, if anybody were to ever do it, he's allowed to say that because of he's a complete hitter in his first year. And he's not. He's going back to the roots of what every good hitter we've all heard. And it's, it's just crazy. I mean, it is absolutely insane that people think like that um i mean it's just and it's just i just feel so bad for the parents and this young generation of hitters that this is how these guys are growing up the dad's paying x amount of money to, for a kid to go to you know a hitting instructor who's 
teaching the wrong things. The guy's little. He needs to be in good positions to hit and repeat swings. I'm okay paying money to those guys because it's an opportunity to hit all the time, and, and, and most people don't have the access to do that. So I think it's money well spent, but it's like not if, if they're teaching things that are against what the good hitters do. You know, yeah, and then the father, yeah, then the, the father of the 12, you're like, hey, my son needs to hit the ball in the air. Like, what's going on? People believe it and people sell it. That's why I like to that, – that was kind of one of the goals with Figured Out Baseball is just to prevent or, or to uh, present the information. And I don't care what the information is. Honestly, I don't care if I'm proven wrong or if I'm proven right. That's nothing to do with it. If I agree or disagree, I don't bring people on this podcast that I'm going to agree with. And, and Coach, you can um, – you can maybe back me up here, but you and I have not spoken extensively. I didn't really know you before figured. I didn't know you at all before figured out baseball. We've kind of contacted uh, when this came up, and but we've never had a conversation about hitting before. I didn't know what I, I don't know what your answers were going to be, or what, whether I was going to agree or disagree with what you said. But I just want to get to the bottom of what people in your position are teaching, and I just appreciate hearing you know what your what your true honest thoughts about uh, about this these subjects are. I, I think it's great. I appreciate. It. Yeah, yeah. You know, we've only we've never even talked about hitting. And although I knew you had a great grasp of what was going on, and and, and when I what, what I appreciate with you especially that you have a great grasp of what's going on in the high school levels and the youth baseball because you you have one goal in mind and that is to try to help our young players. And I actually have the same goal in mind to help young players and young coaches. Um, and and it's so important to me that guys are giving them the right message to today's young players. You know, I mean, I, it's so important to me that these guys give themselves the best chance to have success. You know, be it to be on the Little League team, to make the high school team, to become all-conference, you know, whatever it happens to be. I just want the kid to have the best experience and give himself the best chance to have success. And what I'm seeing from things, man, I just I don't, I don't think it's the best chance for them to have success. I, I really don't. And like I said, I hate to slander. And, and this isn't – there's no – you know, not not every guy gives lessons is like this. Only that guy knows what he's teaching, and, and am I saying the things that he's doing or not? Like, oh, I teach staying through the ball or balance, rhythm, and those things. Then, then, then obviously you're doing a great job. Keep up the great work. Um, and, and, and like you said, there is no wrong or right. So just because I say certain things and I have conviction in them and really believe in them and, and have done, you know, spent years and years of, of doing research and homework, you know what I mean? Like, that still doesn't make Right. There is no right or wrong, but man, it's like it's not that hard. Um, it's a simplistic approach. It's a, it's keep the athleticism in the kid. It's not trying to manipulate swings. You know, it's just. I mean, there's some things I just. Gosh, it's pain to me to know what some of these young kids are doing. I'm sitting over here laughing during a lot of this podcast. Just I, your your conviction and your energy and the youthfulness. You know, the just. To hear someone that's so passionate about coaching and winning and helping young kids, uh, it's it's great. And this is uh, you, you've been an amazing guest today. Um, I probably need to let you go, and and but I, maybe th- I feel like there's so much more to tackle. Uh, maybe we can get a part two uh, for this podcast at some point and, and continue. There are so many areas we didn't even get to. You know, as you're, you're talking and you're um, you're kind of giving me some answers. I'm writing down. Okay, he just he mentioned this. Let's talk about it. Mentioned, but you know, by the time you get to the end of your answer, there are three or four different ways we can go. Uh, so there's a lot of things we didn't even get into. But I have thoroughly enjoyed this conversation with you, Coach Moziello. This is Bill Moziello, everybody. He's the recruiting 
uh, recruiting coordinator, associate head coach at TCU, one of the best programs in the country. He's he's been everywhere. He's coached everywhere. Um, and I just I really appreciate everything that you've given us today. And um, I think everybody that listens to this podcast hopefully comes away as a as a better baseball person with you know just a, a better understanding of things than they did before they listened to it. Well, Jeff, the pleasure was all mine, and I, I appreciate so much of what you gave, what you're doing for our game, and trying to grow grow today's players and coaches. So thank you.